Welcome to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs, a webinar series that packs a ton of important agency information on one topic from one expert into a 25-minute brief. Why 25 minutes? Because who has the attention span for much more these days? And you can squeeze in a listen between meetings with time for a bathroom break or coffee refill before your next meeting. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bite-Sized Agency Briefs. I'm your host, Steve Guberman from Agency Outsight, where I coach agency owners to build the agency of their dreams. Today, I'm speaking with Dan Antonelli. I've known Dan for a long time, and it's been really awesome to see his agency grow. He's the President and Chief Creative Officer at Kick Charge Creative. He's also the author of Branded Not Blanded. Dan, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Steve. Good seeing you again, pal. You too, buddy. You certainly are branded. I mean, you've got the yellow and black everywhere. Uh, Kick Charge is you know, not shy about shouting it out. Yeah. Um, you weren't always Kick Charge. Talk about what that evolution was from you know graphic designs and, and what the the kind of metamorphosis was and why. Yeah, sure. We, I mean, when I started the the company in 1995, believe it or not, um, we actually did traditional graphic design work, and then we did um, mainly truck lettering, actually. And so I thought graphic D dash signs mm-hmm. was catchy or whatever. And it, and it's funny because it later became a name that I never really liked and, and didn't think made any sense. And when we built our new office here, we're in, we're in Warren County in Washington, New Jersey. Um, I knew at that point, like I didn't want to brand ourselves as graphic design. So we renamed the agency Kick Charge Creative. Um, we felt it better captured the energy that we have and what we do for brands, like we energize them. And so we thought it was a perfect name that really matched what we were. And I think sometimes that's, that's the, the thing you have to look at is as your business evolves and grows, does it does your own branding still actually represent what you yeah. become over the years? Um, and so we were doing so much rebranding for everyone else. And, you know, we were saying those things to those clients. And it was kind of like, well, shouldn't we be doing the same thing ourselves, actually? Um, and so it was a great thing. It was a great catalyst, again, as rebranding sometimes is uh, for change for us. And it was it, it's been an amazing thing. And you know, now I think the name is a lot stickier. People understand it and, and it evokes a certain expectation of the deliverable, which obviously is really important for branding. Yeah. And, and that also, I think, was at the time, like you guys were kind of generalists. You're, you're certainly doing <laughs> hand lettering, which I love when you post those throwback pictures of like yeah. literally hand lettering. But you were more generalists. You launched, you relaunched as Kick Charge. Was that when you dove deep into your home services niche? Yeah, I think we always wanted to be the small business advertising agency, right? So that was actually our tagline. Um, and we we were serving so many different verticals. Um, and what we found is we really found the niche within the home service vertical. Um, and partly because of the background I had from doing the vehicles and the, the actual hand lettering, um, you know, evolving into doing more wraps and, and digital printing for, for that. Um, it certainly made sense for us to really hone in on that vertical because we realized also that when you look at HVAC, you look at plumbing um, and those those verticals specifically, uh, those those were owners who really knew and understood the value of, of branding. And yeah. prior, prior to that, we actually had done a lot in landscaping. And what we found with landscapers is they didn't really have budgets. They didn't really have a lot of money to spend on advertising. 
Um, and so we moved away from that vertical a little bit and just focused a little bit more on home services. And, and once we kind of decided to, to specialize more in that specific vertical, that's when we really started seeing a much more accelerated growth uh, for us because we, we've become known as the go-to agency within the home service market. Um, and the work that we do, you know, it's just amazing that, you know, 28 years later, we're still changing lives with our work and we're still able to bring that passion. And that, you know, that has created legions of super fans. We call them like super fans because any social media post that someone's talking about branding, they're always throwing our name out. So um, we're active on some of the social media groups that are niche focused. So there might be a Facebook group for HVAC owners and, and we're on there. We're asked to be on there. Actually, it's not even like I, I invite myself, like they want me to be on there just to sort of act as an expert for people who have questions about branding. But it's, it's, it's kind of crazy when someone posts, maybe they'll post like a really awful brand that they're about to put on their truck wrap and they'll be, you know, 15 or 20 posts, like stop what you're doing, like call kick charge, call Dan or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's, it just kind of fuels that. And it's, it's kind of weird for us in the fact that we really spend almost nothing on marketing, but we, we average about 25 to, you know, 25 leads a week wow. without really actually doing any lead gen. Like, so, yeah. so it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Um, you know, the next part of what we're trying to do is our, as we're trying to grow and, and scale is actually investing in marketing. <laughs> Which seems, imagine imagine yeah. that marketing agency yeah. doing their own marketing. Yeah. So uh, we're looking forward to that. And, and, you know, just, again, just trying to help as many people as, as possible. That's really the mission that we have is how many more um, owners and, and businesses can we positively affect? Um, so yeah. that's really kind of our, our, our focus. So a lot of agencies will fight the niche. Um, they'd rather, you know, if they're too deeply niche, what if that industry tanks or what if my team gets bored with only working with lawyers mm -hmm. or whatever? We want to be as diverse as possible or we can work with anybody. And I think that last part is what really gets me is we can work with anybody. And you guys can work with anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's focus in voice when you say we're the leaders in home service branding as opposed to we're the leaders in branding for everybody. Right. Do you have an idea, roughly, like what your year-over-year -year growth percentage-wise was before you kind of like really owned your niche versus what it might be now year-to-year -year growth? Yeah, I mean, I think that we were doing um, like 10% growth a year. So it was it – was, um, it was slow, but it was it was steady. You know, we'd have one or two hires a year is kind of what we were doing. And we're at, I think, about 24 people now. Um, but then once we really kind of decided this is where we're going to focus, we're not going to sort of chase these outliers. Um, like yeah. we, th we had it in our head at one point that we thought it would be super cool to do branding for um, – microbreweries like we're like let's focus on microbreweries and become experts on microbrewery branding and then we just kind of found out most microbrewery guys or owners don't have really a big budget to spend on branding so like, well, well it would be cool and maybe creatively it would be nice to sort of flex in that space it didn't really make any sense but once we kind of started on that um and then the other thing that we did when you talk about growth and figuring out how how we become you know more profitable and again just um growing faster is we eliminated things that we weren't great at. And one of the things that we weren't great at, we were great at building amazing websites. Um, the only problem is we couldn't make any money doing it. 
Um, and the other piece that we were trying to do is we were trying to sell SEO and, you know, um, pay-per-click and those types mm -hmm. of services. And um, I want to say we weren't very good at it. Um, we probably weren't as good as we, we maybe should have been, honestly. But we thought the recurring revenue model was really the model for us. Yeah. You know, so when you were getting a hundred grand a month or, or 150 grand a month every month, no matter what, it's very comfortable. Like it's great. You know, you've got this money coming in and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a very secure thing. But when we really looked at the numbers and we said, okay, you know, we're selling a 15 or $20,000 website, you know, we've got developers to code because we did all that stuff in house. We didn't outsource any, any development. We had the writers. So we've got all the content people here. And then we've got the designer. So you take a $20,000 website, you divide it by three, and then you look at the salaries devoted to each of those buckets. And at the end of the day, we are just like, there's no money here. Yeah. You know, there's no money. And, and, and as a lost leader to get the digital marketing recurring revenue, maybe I could see it. But when you, we, we also looked at where was the source of problems in the agency from the client perspective, where, where were clients unhappy? They were never unhappy with branding. They love the brand. They love yeah. the collateral. They love the ads. But the digital marketing, they're already pissed off that they're paying Google all this money. And then yep. when they have to pay them even more, they're even more pissed off. So we said, why, why are we in this space? Why, why are we even doing this? Like We are a branding agency at our core. Let's just eliminate the stuff that is not central to that. Um, right. And so, you know, maybe we'll make a, a, a homepage design and hand off a PSD and say, have at it. Good luck. You know, because I still think we build beautiful websites or we can design beautiful websites. But, oh, my God, like the the the, the stress of doing the yep. coding and, and then, you know, the content is just there's no money there. I mean, at least for us, there was no money there. No, it's an interesting point. Knowing the things that the services that you're really good at that you want to do and that are also profitable, like finding that sweet spot and getting yeah. rid of the ones that that don't meet in that sweet spot and focusing on. We do brand packages. They range from what twenty k to six figures. Mm -hmm. They they include. You guys do like amazing mascot work and brand wraps on on vans. You eliminate the white guy or what is it? White van syndrome. White van syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, so you you found the thing that you guys are really good at. You can be very profitable at because you've got a tried and true process. Yeah. And anytime people or agencies veer from their process, it's where they lose money. Yeah. So. Yeah, I love that you own that. You, in, in your niche, you've got a book, Branded to Blanded, that's focusing on home service branding. Mm -hmm. You do a lot of speaking. Like, how did that all evolve for like the thought leadership space for your industry? Yeah, I, I started speaking out of at events, um, and you know, like anything else, I think the first time you you start speaking, it's a really scary thing. Um, and for me. Um, I looked at it as a skill to really work at and I got the opportunity to continue to do it and sort of refine that skill. Mm -hmm. um, and when it came to writing the book, like you see so many common errors that these home service owners make and you're like, why do they keep making these mistakes? Why do they, you know, start their company with an awful brand name? Why do they, why do they wrap the truck with something that is destined to fail? Like, why do these things happen? And you realize that there's no information about it. There really isn't a book about home service branding that even exists. Right. There's books, there's tons of books about branding, but 
focus specifically on what their challenges are and and how to leverage a brand and what it does to their ROI, what it does to their marketing spend, um, how it affects average tickets and how much they can charge for their work, recruitment. Like there's so many things and it's all intermingled into the idea of how this brand functions for them and should function for them. So I just said, like, I can affect more people by writing this book. And even if they never hire us, um, I can help so many people avoid these costly mistakes because it's, it's sad. You get, you get the client who signs up with us and they show us what they've been using. And for me, it's really disappointing to see that someone that was supposedly a professional sold them that. Yep. And said, this is what you should do for your business. And you trusted them to know their craft. So we look here, I think, at the work that we do as this sacred responsibility to design as if lives were at stake. Yeah. And, and I think that that's sort of the difference when you look at us working with small businesses and, you know, owners directly versus working on, you know, Verizon account. Right. You're, you're not affecting lives in the same manner. And so... You know, the staff here and what we believe in is that, you know, you need to take that responsibility very, very seriously because there's jobs that at stake. Like if we screw this up, you know, maybe they can't hire a bunch of people. Maybe they're going to need to spend twice as much on, on Google LSA. Maybe they're going to have to um, not be able to hire people because it doesn't look like a place people want to work for. You know, there's so many things that are affected by this. And so like that frustrates me a lot about you know, some people that are selling these services because they're not qualified to, to sell it. And if you're playing right. with somebody's livelihood, you better know what you're doing. And I, and yeah. I think that, that the, that's the part that frustrates me. Sometimes I see so much bad work. Like, listen, you, you're, you're from Jersey here. You drive around on, on 287 or, or Route 80 and you see a lot of really bad stuff. And yep. it's sad. It's sad like that, that that home service owner is missing an opportunity to do something really disruptive that would really affect their business. So, you know, I, I wrote the book. I love speaking and and seeing people and talking to people about how important the brand is and what it can really do for their business. And, and it's really gratifying when you go to these events and then you you meet them in person. Because most of our clients are not from New Jersey. We probably only have 5% of revenue actually coming from New Jersey. Um, and so when you speak at these events, you get to meet them in person and, and just hearing their stories about what it's done for their business is like, that'll never get old for me. Yeah. Well, that, to me, that's a great point because as agency owners are targeting their, their niche verticals, whether they've got one like you do, that's a really vast one, or they're like in these three or four verticals, they need to be at the events where the people that they're targeting as their clients Right, right. Live and learn and, and network and market themselves. Yeah. And, and that's what you're doing. You're going to these home services shows. Yeah. Whether you're able to get a spot on a stage as a thought leader or set up a booth or, or work the floor or whatever, like that's just a great lesson in like yeah. this is how we, you know, infiltrate the, the niche that we're that we own. Yeah. Um, the other thing, Steve, too, I want to say is when you think about the most most agency models and you look at their client base and their client roster there's generally a few heavy hitters that they have that are comprising a significant amount of revenue. And so when I first started, I thought I never wanted to be dependent on any single source of revenue from one particular client, because I felt like I, I, I didn't have the control I wanted at that point. Like if they decide to walk, it wasn't cool with me that I was going to need to lay off half the staff. Like that's right. not cool with me. Like, like I don't think we've ever had a layoff here where I've had to actually get rid of, um, or lay 
employees out, employees off because we lost a client. So, so right now we don't have any one client that makes up more than 1% of revenue. Right. You know? Yeah. I think the rule of thumb is, you know, 20% of your clients should make up more than 80% of your revenue or maybe that's inverted, but Okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's there's a model there where you shouldn't have all your eggs in one or two or three baskets and it's got to be diversified. Yeah. To your point, whether they're in different vertical markets or they're all in the same industry, you lose one. You've got to say goodbye to people. And that's just a, a crappy thing to have to do. Yeah. 100%. Um, so so you're I mean, obviously, you're investing in your team. They are what uh, is, the, is the like the lifeline for you to, to grow your business, to do the work that you do. You care immensely about the work that you're doing um, to the point that like your case studies show, like since we rebranded, you know, whatever, Tommy's tool truck, they had a brand lift of 30, 357%. Like, like you can see the value that they've gotten back from, and that's part of your culture. Mm-hmm. What are some things that you guys do at kick charge to instill this in your culture, like the value, sure, you're not curing cancer, but there's a lot of value in what you're doing for these business owners that every penny that they have is in their business. Like, so yeah. what do you do to instill that in your team? I, I think we, the one thing that I, I love is that the clients, you wind up having personal relationships with a lot of them. So they share a lot with you and, mm-hmm. and I'll get a random text from someone like, hey, Dan, just following up. It's been six months. Like, can't thank you enough. This has been a game changer for my business. Uh, we were able to do X, Y, and Z, whether it's hire more people. We've got five more trucks. We hired 10 more technicians, whatever the case may be. And I'd make it such a point to share those communications with the team because they're not privy to some of those communications. Like the designers don't talk directly to clients. You know, they, they, we, obviously we have account people and they talk just directly to designers chained to a desk in a dark room somewhere. <laughs> they don't have no, no contact with anybody. <laughs> so, so I want them to be, and they are, but, it, but sometimes just hearing from that client and I'll yep. screenshot and I'll send it to them and say, Hey guys, great job team. Like look at what they've been able to accomplish um, with the work that we've all contributed to. And I, you know, call out the team members that maybe had worked on that particular brand and that particular project, but it, it keeps it very real to them. Um, and like I said, a, a lot of them came from bigger agencies where the impact of their work was never really yeah. seen or, or appreciated. So as much as I can recognize those efforts and have them always keep top of mind how critical yeah. their, their role is, whether it's, it's doing a logo disc, which is not very glamorous, but it's still really important um, all the way to creating the yeah. actual logo and, and having people understand that, you know, each part of the team plays a big role in, in the success of that, that client. And, and when I get the opportunity to have them come to these trade shows also, like if we have a booth at a trade show, that really is where, you know, they get to see that. I mean, the account team is generally who comes to those events, but they truly, they're the ones getting hugged. They're the ones like, oh yeah. my God, thank you so much for everything you've done. Um, and, and so that's just really cool. And I think that that is an important part as owners that, um, you know, I, I always really try to make sure that when people say, you know, Dan, 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 like, I'm like, listen, like, I, I don't do nearly what you think I do here. Like, yeah. I have an amazing team that does all this really cool stuff. Maybe I help orchestrate a little bit of it, but they're the real heroes behind Kick Charge. Um, yeah. And I just kind of sit back and, and let them run with it. That's the job of a leader is, and I think a sign of a true leader is like elevating the team 
on the good stuff and falling on the sword when there's something negative going on. And yeah. you know, so I love that you, you recently brought on a new partner, um, I guess, sold a piece of equity of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, this is somebody that you've got, you obviously had a relationship with. Yeah. What was the motivation there to give up, you know, piece of your business? So the, the, the investment we took in was from, um, uh, a guy named Tommy Mello who owns a one garage, which just recently sold to private equity and Tommy's vision and Tommy's mission is again, to try to help as many home service owners grow their business and scale like he did. So he, he grew a one garage from nothing to over 200 million in revenue um, and just, just sold to private equity and his story, we rebranded his company at $30 million in revenue. Um, and he saw the power of what the brand did to his company, you know, 30 million. And then it was three years later and he was over 200 now. Um, so he just thought, and if you listen to Tommy Mello, he has a podcast called home service millionaire. Um, he's written a few books. His newest book is called elevate. I highly recommend any agency owner to read it because again, it's more of the mindset of, um, building a team where everyone wins instead of just you as the owner winning. And, And that mindset really appealed to me because, um, I wanted the, the sort of the firepower of having his brand behind our brand, which is really powerful. But the idea of that, if we brand 250 home service companies this year, which is around what we'll do, um, how can we do 500 over the, you know, build it to being, that's what we do per year over the next three years. And so doing it in a way that helps even more home service owners elevate their businesses is what was really appealing to me. You know, the idea of taking some chips off the table, of course, that was part of it. Um, I had a health scare about two and a half years ago where I had open heart surgery. And I'm very lucky to be sitting here today talking to you and very grateful for that. Um, But that left me feeling a little bit vulnerable as an owner, because although I have an amazing leadership team here, like my wife is not involved in a business. and And I sort of felt like, wow, like, if I had checked out at that particular point, like, did we have a good plan in place um, in the event, um, unfortunate event, if that had happened? So that was another motivation, too. So I, I was able to take some chips off the table. I still maintain control of the company. So I don't I don't have a boss, but I have a partner that's vested in the success of us and helping more home service owners. So it was like a win win. And it was a yeah. great it was a great opportunity for me. I wasn't really looking for it, but. You know, he really, truly believes in the power of what we do here. And he just wants to bring it to as many people as possible. So I was like, that's, yeah. that's a pretty cool thing. That's awesome. All right. So I'm, I'm challenged here because I typically at this point would jump over just a couple of random rapid fire questions. But I have two other things I really want to dig into. So we might go long. We'll figure it out. So okay. you mentioned a health scare and you mentioned like, shit, there's no plan. What if I hadn't come back? And thank God you did. And, and you're back on the bike, literally and, and metaphorically. Have you taken steps to put, you know, key man insurance in place and, and procedures in place in case, God forbid, something happens? hundred percent. Yeah. And that's been, again, a big fuel of, uh, you know, added a lot of firepower to our growth is basically stepping back. Yeah. So, okay. so you know, I had the surgery about three months prior to the surgery. I had actually promoted someone to be head of operations here and I gave her the title and then did I actually let her be head of operations or was I involved in stuff that I shouldn't have been involved in? And that was more of what was happening. And so, you know, I had, you know, this issue with my heart and it was unexpected and I couldn't work. 
after the surgery. Like I was out for like three weeks. Like here I am. I think I'm going to be a, a big tough guy. I, I went to Morristown. I had the surgery out, out in Jersey here. And uh, I thought, oh yeah, within like three, four days, like I should be back on a computer, emailing people, like doing my thing. And listen, I, I highly don't recommend open heart surgery if you can avoid it. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't a fun experience, but it forced me to, to let people run things here. Um, and, and once I kind of experienced that and saw what great leadership we had here that I hadn't given the opportunity to really flourish, um, like we're doing so much better. Um, we're more profitable. Like everything is just actually working so much better. (laughs) So, you know, listen, I, I wish I had done a better job at that, but listen, a lot of people, I didn't start this agency to do managerial stuff. I started because I love being creative. Um, And so you just recognize that you're not great at some of those things. And I'm blessed to have um, a a great leadership team here that is just, just killing it. And they're doing, doing so well. And it allows me also to focus on the things I love about why I started the the company. So um, it was, it was definitely a good experience. I, I look at the, the heart surgery and what happened after is actually the best thing that ever happened to me outside of my kids and my wife and stuff like that. But, but certainly it was literally the best thing because I think it's also instilled um, a more, a better sense of gratitude um, and being really grateful for, first of all, being alive, not dying was really cool. Um, And the fact that I have an opportunity now to even continue to help as many people as I possibly can. So that's kind of my mission is how many more lives can I affect um, with the second chance that I've been given? Yeah, I love that. I think most owners don't realize they need some sort of a forget about a legacy plan or a transition plan, but like documentation and redundancy and insurances and things like that until somebody close to them passes away or they have some kind of a scare. And so whatever that motivation is, you know, I encourage owners to get that in place before they need it. Obviously, sometimes it might be too late. So um, the final thing that's really on my mind you guys deal with a lot of people stealing your designs. You guys do just such amazing work. And I see you talking about it on Facebook and showing side-by-side comparisons of, you know, what you guys did and what, you know, Joe's design agency and Kalamazoo did. How do you deal with people borrowing, stealing, whatever you want to call it, your designs and using it, using it as their own? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, I, I wish, I wish it didn't happen. We, we've seen the, the biggest the biggest amount of theft comes from crowdsourcing. Yeah. So that's really where most of it is happening. And a lot of it is happening from, you know, overseas designers. Um, there's really no recourse that if you're sold the intellectual property of someone else, like you're not going to go to 99designs or, or Fiverr and ask them to give you the money back to, to redo the 20 trucks that implement the logo that belongs to someone else. Right. Um, so it's a really expensive lesson that a lot of owners learn sadly later on. So the best that I can do is I can just try to speak about the dangers of crowdsourcing, um, the dangers of intellectual property theft. Um, it's, it's usually like once a week we get, you know, n- notified of something, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I have a, certainly a bigger reach now than we used to. And a lot of people know our work. Um, a lot of other designers follow our work and they're like, Hey, is this yours? 
and they'll send me a screenshot of it and it'll just yep. be, you know, the mascot we designed for a different company now suddenly on this guy's van. So then, you know, we don't own that intellectual property any longer, but certainly we let the client know and then they, you know, get the lawyers involved. And, and to me, it's just, it, it's, it's, it sucks, you know, yeah. I, I just don't know what to do about it. You know, I, I tried for a while to police, you know, Fiverr and some of these other sites and send them cease and desist and, and DMCA takedowns. But that's all I would be doing. Yeah. You know, so at a certain point, I'm like, well, my clients probably aren't really going on Fiverr to begin with. So I'm not that worried about it. But it, it does suck when you see even like a local sign company rip something off. And yeah. it's just... You know, I don't know. It just seems like the ethics in in the business sometimes is is missing for, from some people. Yeah, they want to take the shortcuts, or you know, they they. It, it, to me, the crappy part is when you know you do great work for the, for a client, and then somebody else steals it for their client. Now your client feels like, well, I don't have this unique piece of art right. that you charge created for me yeah. because somebody stole it and sold it to somebody else for a fraction of the price. Yeah. And, and sometimes yeah. we see they they contact us. They're really interested in working with us. And then we give them the pricing and they're like, oh, well, yeah, we can't do it. And then yeah. they basically direct the crowdsourcing site to copy yeah. something that's on our site. So yeah. even that part just kind of just feels really kind of lame and weak. And, and it's an expensive lesson that some of these people learn. Like I doesn't I don't take great joy when the cease and desist goes out to a guy who's got 10 wrapped trucks. I mean, that's that's 40 grand down the drain like I, yeah. i'm not happy about it but you know it's you you're playing with somebody's actual property it's not fair to the people who bought it that you just yeah. decided to steal it you know like i mean it sounds painfully obvious but <laughs> no i get it yeah so all right let's shift gears i'm gonna i'm gonna throw one rapid fire question at you so it's not that rapid because it's only one uh okay. the one that i like to conclude with but what's what's a super invaluable piece of business advice that you can share with the listeners? I would say nothing you do today should be considered to be good enough for tomorrow. Mm. Those are some standards right there, man. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, thank you. I'm really grateful that you also survived. So thank you for being here and sharing your wisdom and experience. Uh, I'm grateful for your time. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Good seeing you. You too. Thanks again for tuning in to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs. As always, if you found value in this episode, chances are someone else will too, so please share it with your network. Also, if you know someone with expert knowledge on a topic that agency owners would love, drop me a note. Let's get them on. Finally, find someone to hug today. <laughs>